Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Uh, not too long ago, we had Jason Sargro on the podcast to talk about these low input philosophies that we discuss and and how they apply to the vet side of ranching. And we ended up just barely skimming the surface of that conversation. It was still a really good conversation, though, and we talked all about his farm and, and ranch business. So I definitely would recommend you go back and listen to that podcast episode. That was just uh, episode 52 released just a, a little while ago. So uh, today, anyway, we've got Jason back on to pick up where we left off with that conversation. And so welcome back to the Herd Quitter podcast, Jason. Yeah, thank you, Jared. No, I, I appreciate you coming on not once, but twice. This is this is really good information. I appreciate you willing to, to share it. But where we kind of ended up la- uh, that last conversation was you talking about this idea of animal husbandry and how that, you know, how we can reduce uh, uh, sometimes the need for some of the other I guess, more symptom treatments uh, when we we just manage cattle better and we start to integrate animal husbandry. And that was an interesting kind of conversation that you don't hear too often. I'd be curious just to kind of tap back into that conversation and carry on from there. Was there anything else kind of getting into that 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 would be worth discussing today? Uh, Yeah. So this last week since we've done that, I've been thinking of the veterinary community as a whole and how I tend to make uh, broad brushes and how I have thought about why veterinarians do what we, what we do. And I'd like to just touch on that here real quick about yeah. that there, that, that most veterinarians are just trying to serve clients and it's coming from a spot of, of service and, and just getting the job done. And it seems like the production goals of the producers or what is guiding obviously the service that the that the veterinarians are, are trying to do and they're trying to help them reach these goals but then it it kind of seems like at most practices that the goals kind of coalesce into just a unwritten but understood goals of uh like everybody should want the 95 percent conception rate and everybody should want 700 pound weaning weights and everybody should want these things and the veterinarian is kind of just in the mix and i understand everybody when i was a a real veterinarian driving around in a real vet truck boy it was always time behind you're you're always behind you're always in that space of of just how can i get this done to get on to the next deal and i have a lot of empathy for the folks that are practicing now large animal uh production medicine and that but the deal is is that it's just easier to just go along and it's just the way that we our, our human nature is anyway but most of the clients are mainstream by by just the math on it and so they're just trying to accomplish these goals and it seems like in a lot of these practices the only thing individual about the cow herds may be the color <laughs> but other than that all the cow herds in a practice are relatively similar you know, they're calving in February or whatever the spot is for that location, that region. And they're just really kind of 
uh, everybody's just kind of uh, gets into this uh, motion. And for for a producer to step out on his own and do something a little different, the herd quitter mentality, so to speak, mm-hmm. is for the veterinarian, it's uh, aggravation. Because now they're talking about calving out of season. They're talking about what which would actually be calving in in season, but it'd be <laughs> yeah. calving out of season for all the rest of the clients, and mm-hmm. and maybe using some different uh, uh, vaccine protocols or not at all, or maybe doing this. And then these clients are are considered difficult because they're mm-hmm. trying to do things uh, different. And you know, for for some veterinarians that I've talked with, it almost becomes like it's a self preservation thing it's just easier you know and and um it's just hard to aggravate people all the time and that's what (laughs) that's i guess that's what i do and and so it's just it's more difficult to do that and uh you know people just want you to fix the problem and go on to the next to the next deal and a lot of things that you know a lot of uh, guys that have been doing it a long time to be honest they don't really want any advice from younger people and so all that adds up to kind of a, a self-preservation and an, an efficiency of why everybody just gets to doing the same thing that we talk about with the, with the Pharaoh philosophies is a, you know, a paradigm shift, a whole complete shift in the paradigm. And I believe that that is the, the deal. But if a veterinarian has that shift, then it's frustrating. And that's what it was for me. It was frustrating for me as a veterinarian to try to see a different way of doing things and then to not be able to, to, to have that change. And, and I've had other uh, veterinarians tell me, tell me that same thing. But, you know, too, I've seen, a, I've seen a change here lately uh, in, like, I've had some younger veterinarians that I've mentored. And I can name uh, four or five good young, young folks that, I, that, that have lived with us, stayed with us. So they, they're out on their own now in mid-Missouri. Uh, we've got a young man in Nebraska now and and uh, some mid-Missouri guys and a guy here locally that's uh, uh, that we've mentored that are that do see the the difference. They do see the husbandry. They learned how to graze while they were here. They learned how to what, what, what a difference that makes. And so there there is some and then also older than me, you know, I think uh, I went to a few meetings with uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Mark Hilton. He was from Indiana, Purdue, I think. Have you ever heard of him, Jared? I have not. No. He's a he's a uh, really interesting a guy, and he gave me a good mental thing that I put on my students now. Uh, when I asked them, I said, "Would you rather uh, earn a dollar or save a dollar?" And of course, most eighty percent say, "Well, I'd rather earn a dollar." You know, there's just more honor in it. There's just more hmm. um, uh, pride in earning that. Well. You know, Dr. Hilton goes through and says, anytime you earn a dollar, you know, you've got all your costs that had that you had to do to to get to work and to to do the work. And then not to mention your your taxes and all your incidental fees and all the the everything else. So out of that dollar, you're only actually receiving or reaping uh, a percentage of that, maybe even Mm -hmm. as low as half. And if you save or don't spend that dollar, you have now captured the whole value of the dollar. And so he is a guy that in the veterinary community that's mainstream, he wrote a article for beef magazine there for a while, but that's a guy that looks at the expense side. And I really appreciated that about him and talking about cow size and talking about working with nature. 
And so there's been there's been some in the veterinary community that, that have that have started to uh, to do that and have been doing that for a while. And that's good. But I think most of the veterinary community are just in the production uh, weaning weight production per head mindset because that's the clients and that's the uh, uh, and they just adopt these shared goals. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I hadn't considered that. It's almost like, a you know, who's steering who are producers listening to the advice of others? You know, I mean, these there's just kind of like you, you kind of talked about this inherent idea and goals that everybody thinks they have to have. Like the goal has to be a better conception rate, a bigger calf, you know, or whatever it is. And nobody maybe stopped to ask if that really is even the direction, you know, the most important goals and the questions that we need to be asking ourselves. And, you know, I don't, yeah, it, it's uh, interesting if it, yeah, if it's vets leading producers or producers leading the vets, or if there's just some, you know, this kind of flawed idea that that's where we need to go in the first place. <laughs> I'm not sure if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think there's just a, a symbiosis of the two people trying, the two entities trying to stay in business. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the shared pathway and goals. And, and it's one thing veterinarians are good at is methods. I mean, shoot, we're trained to diagnose, detect uh, anything that deviates off the course. Now, you know, the veterinarian is trained to identify that and get it back on track. And so we are really good at methods and procedures and, and things like that. That's how we're trained at vet school. And since our since our last podcast, we had a, a third-year vet student from Oklahoma State reach out and, and contacted me. And... He was really interested in that about his training at vet school and what that's training him to do. And he was trying to get a more uh, holistic, larger view of that and mm-hmm. see just how uh, he fit into that. And so that was a, a very interesting conversation. But we are very, very good as a as a profession at fixing things. You know, sometimes yeah. I think we need like a a uh, a patch on our shirt like the mechanics, like an ASC certified mechanic or something. Cause it seems like that's a lot of what veterinary medicine is, is, is mechanic work. And, hmm. uh, um, because you just simply don't have time to sit and talk to a client about his grazing management or his profit per acre or his on and on and on. Those are just rare opportunities that, that, yeah. that, 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 that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, I, I think it was Kit actually I talked to in one of the first episodes I did with him when I asked kind of like why do people think this way and he said well it's easy to measure is one of the biggest things kind of to the point you're getting at it seems yeah. like it's you know yeah it's hard Perfect. to sit down and look at a discussion of how can we improve profitability and and some of these things through our management it's easy to just say you know give this and you'll have a higher conception rate yes. or you'll wean more calves or you'll have a bigger calf it's, it's easy to measure pounds and calves and things like that and assume that correlates to overall success and profitability you but bet. you bet but, that's uh, perfect and i go to yeah. some of these vet meetings and that's what they're really talking about are these spreadsheets and this software really trying to get folks dialed in on this because those are things that we can measure we can have a goal it's hard to have a goal of uh well, if we graze this stockpile grass, how 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 is that better for the rumen microorganisms? You know that gets that gets wonky real quick. It's just a uh, it's hard to measure that. You bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess if you had your way, or maybe in your own operation, what are your metrics? I guess, or what are you looking at to sort of determine, 
your success or, you know, when, when things are, you know, required or when things would be worth an investment of some sort of time or, you know, product? I mean, do you, do you have some sort of guidelines that you tend to go by? Hmm. Like sometimes if I'm giving a talk, I found a uh, picture of a cow cookie cutter, like to make little cow cookies. And I put that cow cookie cutter up on the screen and I say, everybody loves a cookie cutter. And everybody, even if they say, oh, no, I, I don't, I promise that they do. It's human nature that we love the cookie cutter. And so I really try to force myself uh, when I feel like I'm even thinking in a cookie cutter to just eliminate that right off the bat. And I've got a quote I'd love to read to you. It's my yeah, favorite please. quote. It says, as to methods, there may be a million and then some. But principles are few. The man who grasps principles can successfully select his own methods. The man who tries methods ignoring principles is sure to have trouble. And this man's name was Harrington Emerson, and he was a, a turn of the turn of the century, nineteen hundreds. He died in nineteen thirty-one, but he was an efficiency. Uh, industrial efficiency manager. That's all he did was study efficiency. And then he's a methods guy, but that's his quote, that, that if all you're doing is methods, you're going to have trouble if you don't have the principles out there. So that has been a, a guiding uh, thing for us. And so when we're trying to make a decision, we say, what's, a, what's the principle? What are we trying to accomplish? And it frustrates my children sometimes because I could say, you know, we could have maybe three different methods to approach the problem at three different times, but they all still fit the principle. But we all like to have the same method each time because that's just clean and it's simple. And so, uh, so that's what we, that's what we like as a, and, and we all do, we, we all do that. And, uh, but that's one of the things that I really, that we try to is just to keep the principles out there. So, for just the principles of like <clears throat> when we think about what we're feeding, you know, we're not feeding cows or we're not feeding bulls. We're feeding uh, microorganisms and that's our goal. And that's our, that's our philosophy here is how, how can we best take care of those uh, rumen microbes? Well, a living plant in February with low cellulose is a wonderful plant. So before this snow came on, you know, we were still moving our wire every day and grazing green living plants. Uh, you know, a lot of the plant was dormant, but we still had green leaves. And some of that plant is alive and it's just, it's very digestible over, over dry hay. So we're every day that we can do that. That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. Not because, Hey, the method of moving wire is easier. Cause like right now uh, we're not moving the wire. We've had to feed hay the last three days because we've got eight to, eight plus inches of snow and uh, we had ice before that and so our husbandry of our philosophy there is now hey we cannot uh that that ice breaks those leaves every time they touch it or uh with their mouth or foot so it falls apart so we put them in sacrifice paddocks and we've uh, we buy hay from our neighbors and uh, we have some on hand every year for this type of event and so now we are feeding hay and the bulls are, are happy to have it. I used to get hung up on, 
the method of, well, I gosh, you know, that they're not, we're not going to have any hay and, and on and on and on. Well, I'd get bullheaded the other way, uh, maybe <laughs> too much one way. And so we've, we've uh, got hay on hand and we use it and it's a good tool. So that's just kind of the, the, uh, the way we look at that. And, and um, I think too, you know, I, I talked last time about my evolution from regular practice and being frustrated. And I think my whole epiphany, I can attest to a, like a flying W tilting shoot. I don't know if you guys use these up there in that country, but they have a, like a regular squeeze shoot, hydraulic squeeze shoot that you use to work cattle. Well, they make it to where it flips over on their side and the floor flops down and then you can work on feet. And so working on all these feet was like a real being tied to that because my boss was tired of doing that by the time I come along. And so he said, here, you can do all the feet. And so I'm stuck to this shoot. And it was there that I would ask the guy, you know, man, why do we keep doing this, these feet on this cow? And he said, oh, she's a good cow. And I'm not a, uh, like we haven't had a TV in like 15 to 18 years. I don't even know how long. So we don't watch any TV. We're kind sure. of out. We're just, we're about half midnight really. And <laughs> so people laugh at it. But we, so I, so I don't want, we don't watch movies obviously, but I, I've stumbled upon a movie and I'm not a sports guy either, but this is a sports movie, Moneyball. And there's a quote in the movie that says, if he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? And so <laughs> that's the way I am with like those cows. If she's a good cow, why doesn't she do good? And that was the, uh, the epiphany on why are we, you know, why are we doing this? And why is she a good cow? Well, it was her bloodlines. It was her just pedigree. It was her on and on and on. But th that's what really got me frustrated and having to step out of that was because the, 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 the defining what that, what good was, was, was very different for, for, uh, than, than what I, uh, what I'd hoped. Hmm. Well, that's, that's interesting. And I've not seen that movie either. You're not alone. We don't have a TV as well. And that was a thing my wife brought on. She grew up without one. I think it's a, I think it's been good for us, but that that's a interesting conversation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your, your cow, if you stop and think about, gosh, it took you a couple hours to bring her in, load her up, bring her to the, you know, vet and, uh, however much it costs to have the vet work done on her and haul her home. I mean, that time has completely wiped out probably any profitability that she would have brought you that year as a cow and yet yeah. she's your best cow. I mean, yeah, it's, a, yes. it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I like that. You could have a whole podcast, Jared, if you watch that movie, you could have a whole podcast about, uh, the, the, cause it's all, it's baseball and it's all stats. And so it fits the Pharaoh deal perfectly. It's a really, uh, uh, it's really a good movie to, uh, show how you just boil things down to the only traits that matter and that's what you go with and uh so the the, the parallels from this uh baseball movie to the to, to the pharaoh program is uh, is really is really really good you you would enjoy uh you would enjoy that yep I'll have, I'll have to watch it i'll have to watch it but i i also like this topic of philo uh your principles over methods because i mean it's something that i guess in the cropping world anyway i 
listen to a lot of the Ray Archuleta, Gabe Rounds, you know, these kind of the bigger names yeah. in, in the understanding ag and the soil health world. And they've got their philosophies or principles of soil health, the five principles of soil health and or yep. six, if you, you include, uh, you know, context. But, you know, people are always asking me in the work I do for SFA and things, you know, like what cover crop should I plant or what, you know, how do I do this or how do I do that? And, yep. you know, what's the, the cookie cutter answer, or the silver bullet yes. to whatever and stuff. And it's not <laughs> about that. It's about these principles and applying it within your context. And I've never actually heard much of a set of principles devoted to cattle production that would be things you would apply. I guess one would be, you know, cabin sync with nature. And that may be different in any given environment or something, but cab when, mm -hmm. you know, it, that, that may be a principle. Are there other principles that I'm missing that would be, you know, really good, maybe things to discuss here to, on the, on the cattle production side specifically? Sure. You bet. So like, I love that. So I quiz my children now on these principles of the soil health, because those are like just good rules of thumb, you know, and my, my daughter uh, with some container gardens, she was, uh, I said, what, what, what cover crop are you going to put on? And she goes, ah, I don't know if we'll mess. And so I said, Hey, here's the print. So we, we use the examples of that. So I love that idea of that. You can always just go back to those and it doesn't tell you, you got to plant turnips or you have to plant a uh, rye, but it says you better have that covered and, yeah. and you better you have better some be diversity and you better yeah. have yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And so that's perfect. So, I mean, just off the top of our heads with the, with the cattle, uh, I would think, you know, the, that the word for us is adaptability. So whatever, whatever makes that animal adapted. And so, so here's an example yesterday. So we had a, a guy that had almost never heard of, like just heard of, of, of Pharaoh cattle company. He was an Amish fella. He called yesterday morning and said, can I come look at the bulls today? I've been talking to David Johnson, who is a CP from Salem, Missouri. And I said, sure. And so he got a driver, drove down here, and we went out to the pasture and looked at, looked at bulls. And he's looking at these black bulls and he says, yeah, but are they heat tolerant? And I said, yeah. I said, just look at their hair coat even today in February in the wintertime. But he says, yeah, but what about the black and the red and the black versus this and the black versus that? And I said, okay, but as a rule, as a, as a, as a general rule, you know, the black cattle uh, are going to struggle, but I have watched these cattle. Now we've been developing the bulls for uh, 11 years, I think. And so I've watched the Johnson's black bulls uh, just become more and more adapted as we go and graze in the summer. Wonderful. And, and take the heat. But the amazing thing is, is what I told this fella is we buy stalker calves every year in, in after the bull sale in April, we just start buying stalker calves like crazy to, to graze our flush of grass. These black calves, if we don't have them out of here quick enough, I mean, you talk about not adapted. And when you go buy 500 to a thousand cell barn calves, from within 50 miles is what usually the two cell barns that we typically use or 50 miles away from us. When, when we buy all that many and th that's a good sample size of the type of cattle that are in our country. And then we're grazing them on really vegetative fescue, lots of legumes and still struggling to keep these guys heat tolerant 
that is telling me, and it's gotten worse over the last 10 to 15 years for sure, that we are going the wrong way on adaptability with these cattle and their adaptability to fescue, their adaptability just to the heat, their shedding ability, their, their hair, and all these things. And so I don't think we can make statements like black cattle are this, black cattle, red cattle, this and this and this. As a general rule, coat temperature or temperature at the coat level is going to be higher on blacks than, than, than reds, but that doesn't account for the changes. It doesn't account to the selection criteria that people have been doing. And, and I don't see any selection towards heat tolerance in the general cattle population in my in my country because we test them we test that theory every year and if my order buyer gets too many blacks i start squalling because it's just uh they're, they're just not going to be adapted and so that's where that's where i uh, really uh, um, am, am seeing our lack of adaptability as a general rule in our cattle population sure so kind of the guiding principle there would just be to breed cattle that fit your environment, not breed cattle that you want necessarily. You know, the the target, the method, I guess, would be bigger calves or something or bigger cows or whatever that, you know, the black cows or red cows. Yeah, I guess the black, the method would be breeding red cows for heat tolerance. The, the the principle would be breed adaptable cows for your environment. If you're in heat a heat, high heat environment breed heat tolerant cows that can be red that can be black that can be brahma that can be angus you know whatever it is just breed adaptable mm-hmm. adaptable cattle you bet you bet we had some big cows come through the cell barn the other day that i was preg checking and they were 1700 pounds gobby fat at the end of january wow and pregnant i mean so somebody got these things pregnant but on my sleeve when i was pulling out there's like lots of corn in the in the manure and so that made me think too. Yeah, this is possible. These these people just did it. There was like forty of them. I don't know why they were selling out, but there was forty of them of seventeen hundred pounders, big, and they weren't just tall. They were they were fleshy. They were body condition seven to eight on these big on these big frayed cows. And I hate to even think of how much money that took to get them a bred and be in that body condition to to do that. So that's what you're talking about on the target. It's possible, mm-hmm. but is it just because we can do something? Should we? Yeah. That's what it. Uh, that's what I kept thinking as I was, because I'm six foot two and I'm sitting here having to lift up to try to get into these cows to rectal palpate them. And whenever I have to go up to get into a cow, I'm I start <laughs> thinking about uh, frame scores and you know that those cows were probably frame score seven, uh, just guessing we didn't measure anything, but you know, they're tall and they, and they were mm-hmm. so big, but, but, but somebody was able to get that done, but should we have? Yeah. That's the, that's the question there. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, yeah, you can create an environment that any cow will work in, but it's going to probably be expensive and maybe, yeah. or maybe not even yeah. profitable at all. So and what I could what I could see right there was that the method worked. The method worked perfectly for that application. For that enough goal. corn, yeah, yeah, enough corn, yeah. and 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 the, the method that somebody had drawn out to to get those cows to be green tag, which would be in our in our area that means a third period cow to get them mm-hmm. third period bred in a seven 
body condition, uh, the, the method worked perfectly. Now, whether or not the, the, any principles were, what principles followed, uh, it wasn't the principle of cost effectiveness, I don't think. So that's the, that's, that's the, the but, but, but we can make methods work. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Are there any other kind of high level principles, things that you can think of that would be things to apply in different ways, but I don't know. Yeah. Just something on that kind of topic or is the main one just kind of (laughs) adapting to your natural environment, maybe not a a fake kind of created environment, but adapting to your natural environment. Yeah. I think a lot of times and, and, you know, especially as the, as bull breeders, uh, like you you and your dad and family and, and uh, all the cooperating producers and me and uh, Drew Johnson have had this conversation a lot in, Veterinary medicine, we're, we're fixing problems and trying to find better genetics. But what we have seen, and, and, the, and the Johnsons have done this as CPs, I've really enjoyed watching this. They have made more positive improvement negatively by culling than, than any improvement they would have made in the AI catalog. And they've AI'd, I mean, they've, they've gotten good genetics. But their improvement has come from removing the animals that weren't adapted as opposed to trying to select and find animals that are superior. And I think that principle is the fastest way for improvement. If I could help any commercial folks or, uh, or seed stock for sure too, if if we want to improve that herd, the culling is the is the way to do it. Not trying to find the magic bull in the catalog. And of course, mm-hmm. you know the catalog's coming out for our sales here soon. And this Amish guy yesterday, I was trying to explain to him the star system and all the data, and it just overwhelmed him. And I said, you know, it comes in the catalog and call, and I'd be happy to uh, help and and uh, whatnot. But you've got all this data. And then I told him, I said, do you have any cows that you'd want to cull? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, next week would be a good time to, to do that. And you'll have much more improvement than, 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 you know, than what you're trying to do here. And so I think that's a principle that we overlook a lot in, in, especially in the, in the bull business. And, you know, it's bad for bull sales to tell people, well, if you'll just cull off the bottom end, you could get along with less, but I'm, you know, the genetics are important. But the bad getting rid of the bad genetics is more important than finding better genetics. Hmm. I really like that. That makes a lot of sense. And it's not something that I'd specifically considered because you're right. So so often people are thinking that, yeah, the, the improvement comes in what you bring in, not that maybe it's already there or that in time your cattle will adapt. You know, it, ah, I, I do like that. No, that makes a lot of sense that you know, the average herd may have what it needs or can get what it needs if put in the situation where it's forced to, if you put the cattle, your cattle in the environment that you choose to raise cattle in, that you want to raise cattle in, you know, more of a natural environment, a lower input environment in time, the cattle that fit and thrive in that environment will, will express themselves if you get rid of the ones that don't and you allow that to, you know, kind of work, work through, work, work all the way through. Yeah. If you, as soon as things start looking a little tough, you just start supplementing everything, I guess, then you're never really going to be able to pull out that bottom end and you're never going to be able to make improvements. But, um, yeah, put them, put them in that natural environment, 
let nature take its course and, and get rid of the ones that don't fit and your herd will improve far greater than bringing in even the best feral bull as hard as that yeah. is to say maybe yeah yeah you bet you bet and i think the hair sheep people are way better at that than the cattle people there there's some of these hair sheep folks and uh that haven't been worming haven't been trimming feet just been culling on feet and and stuff and um we i know of two or three different folks that have uh, uh wonderful problem-free sheep flocks for uh, doing those principles like that of, of just doing the culling and uh i think they're i think they're ahead of us on that by quite a bit why do you think that is uh, is it less maybe you know affection for the sheep than than a guy with his cows or, or what's the, what's the story behind that i think once you make the step to be a sheep person then all things are possible because like yeah. you've had a threshold of yeah. of uh you've had a threshold of I'm going to raise sheep. So in full disclosure, we, uh, my kids, uh, have about, uh, 30 or 40 of these ewes and they are wonderful. They are just so easy to take care of and, and so handy. And, and, but we got them from people that have generationally, and it's, it's like a Pharaoh deal and and these sheep are Pharaoh sheep. I mean, that's what they are. They're just, and the guy yesterday, had just a, a 60 acres and I said, we'd love to sell you a bull. We'd love to get mm-hmm. you started on the deal. But I said, the most Pharaoh animal on this whole place is that. And it was a little old you, because I said, if we're talking about like, if, if you just take Kit's philosophies and keep going to the extreme, if, if a smaller cow is good and lower inputs, lower maintenance, lower everything. And I said, and you just keep going with that. You have a hair sheep. That's just the the natural progression of that. Well, I think I've heard Kit say that the uh, the eventual reality is a uh, rabbits. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's where you get to the end on efficiency. Yeah. Well, the hair sheep is just a step above the rabbit, and yeah. uh, plus they have the you know twins and and uh, and, and and they're hardy. They're just uh, they're treble free, and so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think once you've got to that spot, you've had a, you've had a paradigm shift in your head that you're like, well, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, and I think that's free, that's freedom. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just trying to trying to pull out what it is about that, uh, the sheep, you know, the hair sheep producers that's different because I think you're right. I've seen that in a few sheep producers that I know, hair sheep specifically, Katahdin producers, the ones that I know and stuff, and that they have that mindset of call ruthlessly kind of, you know, and I don't know if yeah. it's maybe something about the fact that you get 1.7, you know, lambs, it's a lot quicker to replace, you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, what yep. what it is about the mindset of a sheep producer that they're willing to call ruthlessly that a cattle guy just doesn't seem willing to do. And if we could kind of pull that out, figure out what that is, maybe then somebody listening might say, huh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's me and I need to change my perspective on this. I, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, uh, I, I, we've been thinking to ourselves that we need to get hair sheep back at the place. We had them 15 years ago, maybe, or something and got rid of them, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, seems like, and gosh, w- wish we had them a year ago with the way things have gone, at least in this region and pricing for sheep. But, um, no, that that's interesting. Um, I'm kind of curious if like, and this is obviously 
way out there and kind of optimistically, but theoretically, if if more and more producers and kind of the whole beef industry move this direction, could there get to a place with the right genetics and the right cattle that fit our individual environments everywhere that we get to a place where vets are relatively less necessary, you know, almost or not not irrelevant, but just to the or or maybe would their roles change? Uh, how and how would they change if we, as an industry, were able to make some of these shifts? Yeah, that's funny. I thought of that last night, <laughs> and I thought of you mentioned yesterday, uh, Mark Hazard, and yes. I thought of uh, Gordon Hazard and him telling me once at a meeting we were visiting, and he said, "Do you have cows or stalkers?" And I said, "Well, we graze stalkers." He said, "You go to? Are you going to these vet meetings?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And he says, "These vet meetings, these vets think that they're got all their clients really trained and all these better genetics and all this." He said, "I promise you will always be able to find a misfit calf that you can improve." And I thought, "Well, that's a he. You know, he's an old man, kind of cynical, kind of this and that." He was. That's brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant because that's that's been like 20 years ago or 18 years ago. And I can still go to this, like the barn has more. I th- has There's more opportunity for unmanaged, poorly managed, upgradable cattle than ever. So, and then go to all these vet meetings and it's all about, hey, we've got our clients on these programs. We've got them weaning. we got the vet. Uh, we've got them all on the pre, the wean vacs and the pre vac programs and all this. It's just going great. All the vets are on board. All the, the we're we're hitting the clients. There's more of this than ever. On and on and on. You go sit in the cell barn, and it does not take long to get a load of upgrade cattle. And so I think that is always going to be the case. And I think like the universe has to be that way. Like, I think there has to be a wide road to have the narrow road in in the biblical context. I think it applies to everything. So I think that they're always, I just thought of that. There always just has to be, they always have to be this tension between the wide road and the narrow road. And mm-hmm. I think it's just have to be there. Now, the only thing that's scaring me currently about this is this summer... We was in a was at a pasture walk at Steve Freeman's, and have you had Steve Freeman on here? No, I haven't. Oh, you need you need to visit with old Steve. He's he's a good <laughs> Steve. He's a really interesting guy. Steve so Freeman. Steve hosts a uh, a uh, uh, grazing group over uh, east east of me, and I try to go every time I can. Well, I me and Jared, my, my Jared went this year, and he had a Jordan Thomas and Eric Bailey, and they're from University of Missouri Extension, and they sat out there in the pasture and talked about cost efficiency and profit per acre and utilizing forage. And these guys have been to, I think, uh, maybe even that Eric said he'd been to the Ranching for Profit. Uh, I know he's been to the Wally Olson's um, marketing school. Uh, He Mm -hmm. mentioned that specifically. These guys are out there and that Jordan Thomas had an article in the Stockman grass farmer here the last couple of months. So as far as like being in the end times, I think having university types out in the <laughs> coming to the grazing media, that's the only thing that makes me nervous that, uh, that, Hey, this is getting, 
these principals are now at a university. And I don't know how long these guys are going to survive at their jobs at the university. I hope for a while, but that was, I had two guys at that grazing meeting after we got done, look at me and said, that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and I said, I'll have to agree with you that th these guys are, have mainstream positions at the university and they're doing a great job of getting people to think about low input principles. And so, so that makes me think, oh yeah, this is catching on. This is, this is, uh, you know, and, and we got new Pharaoh customers all the time and man, we're going to change the world. But then I, I go to the cell barn every week just to keep it real. I mean, that's just it for me. I just go and, and I, I just, I, I, I need that dose of reality and I need to preg check 1700 pound cows and I need to see these to, to keep me grounded and know Hey, this, this thing is not, this is always going to be the narrow road. It yeah. just is. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome that you're at least seeing those. And it does seem like it is getting more and more mainstream because you see a lot of these principles and things and articles and all the made major magazines. And you got, uh, yep. I just was sent a article yesterday or a bunch of people sent it to me here in the last week that, uh, beef magazine, I think put out or the beef producer or something from, uh, North Dakota NDSU and I think Chris Ringwall or something and their research on smaller cows and smaller calves. And then there's uh, Jason Roundtree we just had on the podcast yep. from Michigan State here a week or so a couple weeks ago. And um, like there's more people out there doing this. But yeah, it, I, I don't know. It, it It's I guess it's also interesting too. like where does the the major these companies and marketers, all the marketing dollars, where do they come into it, too? I mean, we're always going to be competing against billions of dollars of marketing and advertising dollars for some of the, the the other companies that will we ever really make large change? Who knows? We'll see. But it's exciting. I guess it's hope for the cattlemen that there's there is a route that it's kind of the only industry that we can be completely input free almost. I mean, with cropping and stuff, it's always going to be pretty heavily reliant on inputs, but there's some cattle producers out there doing it on almost nothing <laughs> and that gives hope. You bet. You bet. And just, and, and just the fact that there's like, I, like I remember that Burke, uh, Tyker was writing, yep. uh, articles in the back of that beef magazine for years. And, and, yeah. and he's just a regular guy, but he was seeing, uh, he's a good pencil guy yeah. and i've heard him speak a couple of times and read his articles and he's getting in a mainstream magazine and asking people to hey if you're feeding a, a big chunk of the year non-forage that's a problem and and hey if your cow size don't fit your environment that's a problem and on and on and on so so i know it's there is more interest but when it comes down to it writing checks for little short bulls that's the, that's what separates when you, when you start writing checks, um, that's the difference. And, yeah. and I see that with guys that come out and look and, and guys I visit with at the cell barn. Oh yeah, doc, that makes sense. But you know, there's always a, but, and I think it's almost like, um, being the narrow road, it has to be a conscious decision. Nobody's going to fall into this. You've got to work at it and try to separate yourself from that. And I think for everybody that now is coming over, I guess, to look at some of these low input principles, you still got folks that are just starting that are just taking right in demographically, just stepping right into where, um, you know, the mainstream's always been. So I got to watch myself sometimes 
because I get isolated and talk to customers that are looking for the bulls, uh, you know, other CPs like y'all and whatnot. And I think, man, we're really, and, and you know, we get to read the stop McGrath farmer and, and we, and you know, Joel Salatin's all over the place and, and, and fan you think, and, and Greg Judy's, uh, videos and, and people ask me about those everywhere. And I think, man, people are really paying attention. Well, they are paying attention, but I still don't see that the buy-in. And I just don't think that, I, I think we just got to be fine with, it's always going to be a, a, a smaller narrow road thing. And, 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 you know, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, me too. I, I wonder sometimes too, you know, I, I mean, if we can only be the low input producers, if there's, you know, the low cost producers, if there's other people out there with high cost and if, and if ever, if the beef industry and the price of beef goes up kind of to keep up with the cost of rising input costs and machinery costs and everything. And we're sitting over here with no inputs and no machinery that just makes a wider margin for us. So I don't know. You it's it's you exciting, bet. I guess in that way, but are there, uh, are there any more thoughts that you had that you want to share here before we start to, to wrap up? I guess I wrote down um, one of the things that I, that my, my wife Sharon was asking me last night when I told her about last time we talked about the black leg with the taller grazing um, residuals and, and eliminating the exposure to the organisms. And we were talking about veterinary medicine. She said, well, what about the, what about scours? And I said, yeah, that fits in. So a lot of things <clears throat> with the grazing system and, and the way that we do things, a lot of the health benefits that eliminate veterinary care are just good side effects. And, that was one of the things that kind of come to me when she was talking about when you're rotating those calves, they're just not in the same location, picking up a lot of those, uh, rotavirus, coronavirus, a lot of these things are the main culprits of, uh, neonatal diarrhea. It's just a good byproduct of, of that, of that management, you know, of that husbandry practice. And I thought I would throw out because I'm uh, I'm always surprised if I speak somewhere how many folks haven't heard of this. But there's a, a calving system called the Sand Hills Calving System. Do you hmm. know it, Jared? No, I'm not familiar with it. Okay, and it's a guy, uh, Doctor Smith in Nebraska on the Sand Hills was working with his clients, and they were having scours problems. And it's just simply everything that calves this week you you take off and put together. And then the, everything that calves the next week, you put separately and, and in a rotation system, it works the very best. Hmm. And you just keep those animals segregated because the, the uh, older animals are what, sh are what are shedding those viruses to the uh, younger calves. And that's what perpetuates that neonatal diarrhea or scours. And then after a month, you can, you can put them back together but it's just a way of isolating. So I don't recommend that to folks unless they're having problems. But most of the folks that call me having problems are like calving in a trap with round bale feeders and a quagmire of mud and poop and everything else around. The, like they're keeping them hemmed up to calf. So some of these grazing principles that we have, you just get an automatic side benefit of health, of the principles of sanitation, the principles of segregation, the principles of disinfectant and the, the, the natural disinfectant of UV light, snow, rain, 
air and then drying out, all those natural disinfectants are perfect if we use them. And they're just a side benefit that when we're talking, we're trying to encourage people to graze and to use a, a, a management uh, intensive grazing or a, another grazing, uh, a controlled grazing model. When we're trying to talk them into it, we're often just talking about grass utilization and longer forage heights and, and better better for the profit, better for the soil, the regenerative aspects of the rest and the and the roots and all that. All of that's great, but we have animal benefits as well that I don't think we talk about that are just kind of go along for the ride. And then my other thing my wife told me to mention was starting these stalker calves. And you mentioned it yesterday about recipes for starting these calves. Well, our little vaccine program is hardly it's just nothing. I mean, to speak of the trick of why we don't have a lot of morbidity or mortality is, is, uh, like just stockmanship. And all it is, is we, we've built some traps with some net wire that we can put a cell barn calf in like the next day. And they're out in the, in the grass. And then we, it's a, it's the, those, they're traps that are good enough that to hold goofy cell barn calves that had just been weaned off their mom the day before. Sure. sure. And we take our training wire and we get those guys trained in two or three days. And then mm. we get them out on the, on our one high tensile wire. That's the principle. And so we get them out there and start to rotate them. And that's the trick. I mean, there's not a, uh, when people say, oh my God, how long are you going to keep them up? Well, as long until we can get them trained to one wire. And sometimes that's two days. It depends on how much uh, time we have to, to walk them and work with them and, and, uh, get them shocked and all these things. But it's just the, it's, it's Bud Williams. It's, it's just the principles of, of, um, of, of stockmanship and getting those guys out and getting them on the fresh grass and getting them rotated. That grass is in the springtime is wonderful medicine. And as far as like people will metaphylactically treat a whole set of stalker calves with X seed or Draxin or another antibiotic that could be as much as $25 a head, man, that, that that's costly. And so management can reduce those veterinary costs for sure. And I'm not saying we never have to doctor any. We've got to doctor them out in the pasture and we'll either rope them or, or dart them or if we can get them up close to crab, we'll catch them. But it's way, way minimal because we are, we only put together the calves from like two days and then we don't add anything to them. That's a group. And we get them out as quick as we can and get them rotating and that just, oh, I mean, it doesn't eliminate, but boy, it reduces all the sickness of them standing around in a lot and, and all the things that um, is just poor husbandry on those calves. We just really try to focus on that. And that takes a whole lot of the, oh my gosh, what type of respiratory disease is it? Do we need to send samples? Do we need to, which the antibiotics aren't working? What do we need to do here? That whole thing. And, or they all have a temperature, but they don't necessarily look sick. Do we need to doctor them? Do we not doctor them? We can eliminate a lot of that with just getting them out and, and getting on that on that grass, which is a complete management thing and not in a bottle. 
And that sometimes people don't like that. <laughs> That's weird that they don't. But uh, I added stockmanship here. to. I've been kind of keeping this list of kind of principles. And that's a, that's a really good one that probably isn't talked about enough is good stockmanship. And maybe that's a, I'll have to have you on or, or get one of these guys that are kind of the stockmanship pros on to talk about what good stockmanship yeah. looks like on a, on a cattle operation. But I have kind of two last questions here. Well, kind of one question together, things that I just, they stood out to me and I wrote down when I was listening back and editing the last podcast we did things that you kind of said that I it's kind of getting to the personal side here. So you, if you'd rather not talk about it, but I, I'm, I'm curious, you mentioned a lot of we, when, whenever you're referring to things on your farm and you, you, you mentioned we, your, fa- your family is who I believe you're referring to. And that, that was clearly an important thing. Is, and so I, that, and you mentioned a lot about your faith and blessing in God. And, and I'm curious if you just wouldn't mind talking for a bit, how your family and how your faith has played a role in all of your decisions around your farm business and, and the, the kind of the things that you've pursued. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's wonderful. So there's lots of methods to go about everything, but the principles are, are we going to steward this well? How do we steward it better? Are we managing it? Who are we managing it for? And we're managing all this. The Lord created it all. And so we are the the trees, the, the grass, our time, um, the money, everything is his and we are just managing that and so i started with these kids i've got five from 20 to six and we just we just started early with this is not ours and we we are managers and we are stewards and we read a lot of the bible verses about being stewards of of the resources and so that's the principle in which we attach everything and so when I, uh, we, we approach every problem in, through that lens. And so even the question of when you called and said, hey, would you do a podcast with me? My first deal was uh, no. And then my <laughs> second deal was, after I thought about it, was I'm going to, what's the principle? Uh, the principle is, can we glorify the Lord in this? And you just did. And so I appreciate that. And Sharon, my wife caught me the other day when I said, I think it went pretty good, you know, and, but, it, oh, it was when you called me or texted me and said, Monday morning, there's been 300 listens or something like that already. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, I told her, I said, I'm doing Monday morning wrong because I've not learned a thing yet on a podcast. And I said, I'm sitting <laughs> here trying to figure out what we're going to do. Everything's scattered. We're who's with but doing this, who, how we're going to do this. And I said, I'm doing Mondays completely wrong because Jared says there's 300 people that have already listened to this. And um, <laughs> By like 8 wow. a.m. or 7 a.m. or something. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Makes me feel pretty unambitious, yeah. too, every time I look at that in the morning on Monday. <laughs> By 8 a.m. And yeah. she said, she said, hey, lots of folks are listening to this on their way to work or while they're getting ready or, or whatever. And then I was driving later and it hit me that. Uh, we, when you asked me about how our transition happened and I was talking about my grandmother who was a wonderful prayer warrior for me and a wonderful, uh, leader and brought me, uh, to Jesus. And just, she was just a, a wonderful lady. And I thought there's people driving around all over the world, listening in their truck and, and listening about my grandma. And I thought, how, what a, what a blessing that is. 
and what a testimony because I'm kind of anti-technology. I've got a flip phone. I won't do the smartphone. I got a flip phone. No TV. Um, yeah. <laughs> no TV. I mean, I'm just old school. I love a book, I, you know, all this technology. But yeah. to think about somebody driving around in their truck and and listening to us glorify the Lord and get to hear about my grandmother and how she loved her grandson enough to, to talk about Jesus and to talk about taking care of that ground. Man, that made it all for me. That was great. That's awesome. Good. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate how intentional you are about, you know, thinking about things, like thinking about your actions, thinking about your, you know, the, the compounding effects of little things that you do in your life. It's it's uh, it's something that I, I hope people take away from this conversation, if nothing else, is just, you know, that, you know, the value of that. And no, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I wrote down something else this morning, Jared, about intentionally. You just said that word. Yes. In the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters of Proverbs, and there happens to be 30 or 31 days in the month. So I have fallen out of the habit, but I, at various times in my life, we read the proverb, and, I, and two of my children right now are doing this, reading the proverb for the day. So I don't even know what today's day is, but the date is going to be the 5th. So we would read Proverbs 5 today. And every day, if you get a dose of that wisdom, that's good. And so I would encourage anybody that's listening to uh, uh, adopt that. And it's a grounding and a, and a dose of wisdom every day that has been um, very, very beneficial to me and, and my kids. And I have a lot of people say, oh, Doc, that's just for them. Proverbs are just for kids. Well, you take you just read it a day or two and you'll find out that it is exactly for uh, 48-year-old guys just as well as it is for 8-year-old guys. So it, it's, a, it's, a, that, that's a wonderful book, and, and that's a neat uh, a neat practice to get into. And uh, so I would just encourage anybody to, to do that. Yeah, no, I, that's a good idea. I, I like that. I'll have to do that myself. And that's a good one for uh, right about now. I usually ask if you have any resource recommendations, uh, and that one is I'll, I'll throw that in there, the book of Proverbs. Do you have any other resource recommendations along the lines of anything that we've talked about, uh, cattle related or business or you know mindset or whatever that you think would be good the the listener reads, or or it can be anything, yeah. podcast, books, YouTube, conferences, you know, whatever. You bet. I have uh, been blessed with mentors that don't even know me and so and they're on my bookshelf and so i i get after my students who are 19 20 21 years of age typically that they don't read and that's a lost art of reading but you sit there and when you asked me last time about how did you and, and the ranching for profit schools great and the a lot of these uh, uh bud williams and 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 Tina and, and Richard McConnell do the stockmanship and the marketing and the Wally Olson does the marketing. All of these things, these schools are wonderful resources in the private sector. The books though, I can like Gordon Hazard's gone, but I, he's still a mentor cause I got his book mm-hmm. and like your Dave Pratt, he's no longer doing the ranching for profit all the time, but he wrote a book and I got the book and, mm-hmm. and we go through the book and um, the Allen nation. I loved Allen nation and, and all, and, and all these people, when they write that down and, and put it in a book, it is a, it's a wonderful mentoring opportunity and a wonderful resource. And I just can't, um, um, 
I had a young man that we were mentoring that I couldn't get to read a book for like five years. And now all of a sudden he wants, he's got some sheep and now he's calling me at night and saying, Hey, I'm in Jim Garrish's book with, I'm on chapter, whatever. And he's talking about this. What does that mean? So when people get to that spot, that's when they humble themselves to say, I want, I do not know that I want to learn more. Hmm. And that is a powerful, powerful place to be. And Mm -hmm. You know, I've had some folks tell me too after said, boy, you, you know, you feel like you really know what you're talking about, but you can be kind of arrogant. And I say, I am not arrogant at all because last night I was up till two in the morning reading. And they said, what's that have to do with it? I said, nobody that is arrogant or thinks they know it all is going to put in the time that I put in on, on studying. I said, I am humble enough to put that time in because I want to know I'm seeking. And I think that's what it comes down to is humble people are, are seeking. And I know folks that, that, that will not read, will not do anything. And I feel like they're the most arrogant people in the whole world. They might not act like it, but by their behavior of not seeking information, just like your podcast, I mean, seek people seeking that information. That's wonderful. That's good. That says, Hey, I want to learn more. And I believe that the the Lord blesses that seeking spirit with putting mentors in your place, putting uh, books right when you need them. And if you ever wanted to have a a book review podcast (laughs) of, uh, of other stuff, you know, shoot fire. We could go forever on, on lots of uh, these book reviews of, of uh, um, I just read all, I got a, I got two books sitting here in the truck with me for if I have to wait on somebody today and uh, we just read everything we can read. And I think that separates folks that are hungry uh, and, and folks that aren't. Uh, that's a good, that's a good point. And I like that idea. We may have to do that, uh, have a conversation on some book recommendations and maybe I could go through. I've been, I've been keeping kind of a list of resource recommendations from people, all the guests that I've had. Anyway, I've got this list and kind of just the other day tallied up which ones have been talked about the most. So might be worth just going through doing kind of a book review conversation and resource recommendation conversation that that'd be interesting. But, um, my last question for you that I forgot to ask you last time is how can people find you and reach out to you if they have more questions or want to learn more about what you're doing? Yeah. Um, I don't do email very good. So how we do email at my house is my lovely wife, Sharon reads the email and this is to Kit Pharaoh's, uh, dismay, but my (laughs) wife, Sharon reads the emails she prints off the ones that she deems that I need to read and she sets them on my desk. And so then I get in at night and then I read that and then I hand write with a pencil what I want her to reply. And then she does that for me. That, that is, is old archaic. school. Yeah. That is old school. But it's just, it works for us. Yeah. So that's, so the email is terrible. Uh, the old flip phone like is terrible to text with because it's um, like I've got the number seven has a PQR and an S. So I'm not a good texter, but I can talk on the phone. And so my cell phone number is 417-880-5050. And that's still, that, that's old school, the best way to, to get a hold of me. And um, that's the, the best methodology that keeps me where I can still go move, uh, be moving and um because uh, we're just not uh, sitting in an office yeah awesome 
No, that's that's great. I, I really appreciate you coming on again here and, and sharing some more of your wisdom with us all. So thank you so much, Jason, and, and hopefully I'll get to talk to you again soon. You bet. Sounds great, Jared. Thank you, bud. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Farrow Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Farrow Cattle Company at farrowcattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com.